Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Pendergast blows the whistle? It's official. Canada 2000 Gold Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 30 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo. He is Thomas Neff. We're recording the morning after a famous result for Canada that probably could have been a win, Thomas. Yeah, it definitely could have been a win, but I mean, you have to be happy with this result. I mean, what a draw. Only two teams have won at the Azteca and eight teams have drawn in Canada and now in the history books. I'm surprised, Peter, that this news isn't in the front page. But hey, I think a win could have gotten us in the the front page, um, the national team speaking here. But yeah, no, I mean, you have, there's so many positives to look at this. I mean, Canada absolutely dominated uh, in this game and for large parts of it. And a draw against U.S. and a draw against Mexico away, you can argue if you take that Honduras game away, obviously the nerves getting in and all that, that Canada can beat anyone and is in really good shape. Like, it looked like a World Cup team. It did, and that is what is so, I think... uh exciting as well as a little scary because expectations might start to rise and uh, people can start believing. But before we dive into the recap of the game, the ramifications, and then look ahead to Jamaica on Sunday, uh, a reminder to you all that we're partnered with Northern Tribune. Check them out at northerntribune.ca and follow them on Twitter at North Tribune for all things Canadian soccer. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. If that platform is Apple, then leave us a rating and review when you have the time. So let's dive in here. Mexico won, Canada won. The Canadians went into Estadio Azteca, one of the temples of football, and claimed a result for the first time in Mexico since 1981 and scored their first goal at the Azteca in 41 years. That was thanks to Jonathan Osorio wiping out Jorge Sanchez's opener to secure a 1-1 draw. Thanks to other results on the same day, Canada now sits third with six points, two adrift behind Mexico and the U.S. through four games. Thank you to the listeners for submitting all of your questions, especially on short notice. Uh, We got quite a few here. I want to start with this one, though, Thomas, because... When the goal was scored, I was thinking to myself, we are going to get tweets about this, and sure enough, we did. Uh, Vince Alvarado, at Vince by Demand, asked, is Peter finally going to be a member of the Church of Osorio? Um, Listen, credit where credit is due. Terrific run, amazing finish, a striker's finish, as I wrote on my takeaways on MLSsoccer.com last night. And Jonathan Osorio, once again... Loving Estadio Azteca, obviously three years ago, scoring there for Toronto FC to beat Club America to get them to the final in the Champions League. But uh, he was the hero, Thomas. Yes, he was. He really looked at his, like his old self, his 2018 version of himself, where he obviously got that great um, individual award at the CONCACAF Champions League. And yeah, I have to say, when I saw this question, I, I laughed a lot because obviously, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, even I had yet over Osorio in my 11. Ostakio playing a more advanced role he kind of offers more than Osorio, but, but yeah, I mean, he proved all of us wrong, and yes, even though he contributes once in a while with a goal like this, 
I mean, in June, I mean, his contributions were huge, and you cannot argue that, you know, he is such a pivotal part of this national team. And when I saw the national, when I saw the lineups, and I saw that trio reuniting again, I thought, okay, listen, uh, they're not gonna take, they're putting the exact same team, almost the exact same team, out there as it did in June, uh, as it did in in July, sorry, for the Gold Cup against Mexico. So they they meant business and they almost got it done the three points they did they did and that trio you would say when everybody's available and there isn't a risk of suspension and whatnot which there are for two of them and mark anthony k and stefano shakio now after picking up a booking against mexico that is the trio that you look at and say that's probably going to be our go-to and then you kind of just plug in whoever you want to give them maybe a little bit of rest because they're kind of humming right now but in terms of how each of them played, Thomas, um, I mean, Osorio obviously got the goal. That was huge. Um, when he moved more inside, because he started the game drifting towards the right to help cover Alistair Johnston's side, and then it seemed like as Canada continued to press, it, it almost became difficult to determine whose responsibility it was to cover the flank, because if it wasn't Osorio one time, then it was K. If it wasn't K, Buchanan would come back. If it wasn't Buchanan, then Ostakia would go over. And I think at times it got a little confusing, but the trio itself, I thought for the most part, did do very well. Ostakia was his normal self, very composed, building from the back, bypassing the Mexican press. Mark Anthony K with a couple of costly giveaways, but you take the risk and reward scenario. Osorio, obviously with the goal, thought that he was otherwise solid. I, I wouldn't say, you know, contributed in any other outstanding way, but did his work off the ball and credit where credit is due for, for coming up big. What did you make of the trio as a whole? Well, I mean, they've played together for so long now that, you know, they just have great chemistry. And this is why this Canadian team is where it's at, because... Even without Atiba Hutchinson, even without Milan Borian, and even without Junior Hoylet, who we will probably see, most likely we'll see in the second game against yep. Jamaica. You know, Canada gets it done. And, and even though there's suspensions, we'll get into it a little bit later as to who those are. But there's just depth all across the board. And Mexican media is, is, is known for, <laughs> obviously, being very critical of their national team, yeah, yeah. Uh, as we know. But they're also very, very pro uh, Mexico when it comes to these these games. But man, I was listening to ESPN and Fox mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, last night, and obviously it's in Spanish and everything. Yeah. But what they were saying, they said that this national team, this Canadian national team, might have just been the best away team that they have ever faced, and that Big even goes over the U.S. Yeah, a rivalry that has been more heated, like. Even that 2016 game, the 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 game that where Canada lost two nothing at the Estanca. I mean, you look at the players on that team. Yes, it was not a very well coached team by Benil Flora. There were still like what four or five of the starters today still playing on 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 this team. So about yeah, yeah, that's true. So the way the team has has changed, hasn't evolved over time is 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 incredible, and it's almost as if it's just incredible because. When they scored, everyone went and celebrated with them. Everyone, yeah. no, no, no one, no one was left on the bench, you know. And you can see that that there's this whole thing about, you know, brotherhood and all. But even though, for example, like Canada was at some points of the game, you know, like Mexico could have had more goals, and 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 Canada could have as well. But in a way, it felt like I don't know about you, Peter, but in a way, 
for moments of that game, I thought we were in Qatar. Yeah, it certainly looked like it. Um, This kind of transitions me nicely into the next question because, look, no doubt about it, they played very well for large spells of the game, Canada, that is. Tata Martino gave them all the credit in the world in his post-match presser. He admitted that the team lacked intensity compared to Canada, which is quite telling when you're playing at home in a World Cup qualifier with your full complement of players available to you, at least your starters. Um, So that kind of goes to show you how massive the result is. But it obviously wasn't entirely perfect because those first 20, 25 minutes, Mexico got a lot of chances in transition, as did Canada, to be fair. Um, Both sides had very... I would say slower defenses, specifically centrally, um, and both sides got opportunities as a result. But was there anything that worried you from a Canadian perspective from this game? Obviously keeping in mind that this was probably on paper the toughest opponent they're going to face. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, When Canada presses, we we see it that it works extremely well. And when they get away from that press, they allow um, Mexico to really, you know, get in their groove. The other thing that worried me is obviously the goal came from from Sanchez, a uh, unlikely goal scorer yeah. uh, for Mexico. You know, you expect him it would be Chuck Lozano or Tito Corona, Jimenez, but no, it was uh, Sanchez. That goal, I mean, if you look at that goal again, you can look at that goal ten times over, and what you notice is Larea. He's a fullback. Why is he in the? Why is he playing? You know. Why is he caught like that? You know, as a as a as a center back. So I think that playing a back three has its positives. It allows you to do a lot, but it also limits you in this in these kind of situations, and and they need to be careful of that. Easier said than done, of course. But uh, a team like Mexico can punish you, and they certainly did. And also the other thing that worried me was that yes, it was also a slow start for Canada and Mexico in a way. Obviously, mm-hmm. there was a lot of counterattacks and whatnot for both teams but it also brought brought me back the the whole thing of the slow starts that was an issue in the past it, it wasn't all an, an, a slow start in great part but there were parts of that like you said the first 25 minutes where it was slow start so those are the only concerns that i have but again at the same time i mean the positives outweigh the the negatives and they just need to tighten up and then other than that i think it's pretty much sorted yeah i agree with you i, I would say that there were moments in those first 25 minutes where Canada looked a lot like they did against the U S when they tried to open it up and press them up high. And then the U S started to, to kind of pick apart the gaps. I feel they, they were a little less direct than Mexico was Mexico. You could see we're just hitting the diagonals out to, to one of the front three, or, you know, if one of Sanchez or Gallardo were up there, very attack minded fullbacks, as we know, um, they would be the target, but, when Canada presses at times, I feel like the left side, they actually are quite organized in that regard whenever they're pushing up high. The right side is still a bit of a work in progress. This goes back to the U.S. game as well. And remember when I was saying that it seemed like whoever was on assignment to help Johnston cover the right flank constantly changed? It feels like, I don't know if that was by design or not, but the responsibilities looked a little uncertain there because three or four different players at certain points in that opening half hour were tasked with that duty and you saw i mean gallardo got a very good cross in uh one-on-one against johnston but no one was there to to tap at home 
then Chucky Lozano missed a great chance <laughs> in a similar situation, and then obviously Sanchez's goal happened. After that, didn't happen too often. But in that same situation or situations, I think Mexico also exploited one of Canada's long-standing weaknesses, and that's defending in the air. Unless you're Stephen Vitoria, who I thought was very good covering Raul Jimenez last night. Alistair Johnston, as we know, is a fullback by trade. He's playing at center back for really the first time in his career, right? I mean, over the last few months, he's really settled into that role. But aerially, he still has a lot to to learn. Same with Kamal Miller. This is a criticism of his I've pointed out in the past. That is something that Mexico was exploiting quite a few times. That is probably a bit of a worry coming up against Jamaica, which we'll obviously preview later. But that continues to be a bit of a problem. And if they can just figure out the press, which doesn't happen overnight, it's a very difficult thing to perfect. It takes months and months of training sessions and games at club level to perfect it. The international game, it's going to take a lot longer. So you're going to expect some warts. But that is something that I think opposition teams can still exploit until they perfect that a little bit more. Into some more listener questions here. Um, Dan Clark asking, where does this rank among all Can MNT matches, both in terms of performance and importance? And then uh, Sin Cara at Me- Mexico American 5 asked us, what does it mean for Canada to earn such an important point at the Estadio Azteca, considering Mexico is a tough opponent there? So, Thomas, in terms of importance and or uh, historical rank, where would you put this game? Well, I'm not going to go too back into the history because we know that Canamente history is sort of, well, pretty blunt, to be honest with you. But I am going to talk about the, the Herdman era, which began in early 2018. I have to think that because the opponents, the scenario, the World Cup qualifying, this might be it in the Herdman era. Yes, of course. Like, this might be number one. I thought that, you know, obviously getting a, a draw against the U.S., again, in World Cup qualifying, I think that could be two or three. And obviously the win against the U.S. And again, how many times has Costa Rica been, you know, the top three side? And obviously they, they beat them. They beat them at the Gold Cup. But I, I think this is it. Like, there is no bigger moment than this. And I feel like we're always going to say this every window. Because you know, never know. Canada might win and might beat an yeah. opponent by a certain amount, and it's right. going to be like, oh, it's the biggest, you know, it's the biggest uh, win in, in in Canadian history in the final round, and and then you're always going to be, you know, breaking records. But I feel like this record will be tough. It will. In this century, you have to say it's top three or five. You probably put the Gold Cup final in that conversation just because they won it um, and, and beat some pretty important teams in doing so, including from South America. You obviously have that uh, 2007 semifinal against the U.S., which I thought they played very well in. Uh, the win over the United States in 2019, as we've mentioned many times. You, it, it, but just in terms of importance, where the game was, the strength of opponent, the circumstances that they were facing, everything else, you can make the argument it's it's at the top, if not among the top, uh, along with maybe you know that game against France at the 86 World Cup. But that was before our time. Um, you know, perhaps that generation can can better glean what the historical significance of this result is. And I guess we may never know until the end of the Ocho, right? But certainly right now, it has to be up there. Moving over to a question from Darren in Ottawa. Uh, will this finally silence 
the Herdman Doubters. And then JSTEP at Josh Stefan5 asked, is Herdman a tactical genius and potentially the best coach in CONCACAF? Makes Mexico uncomfortable by pressing and trying to dominate possession and makes the United States uncomfortable by sitting back and countering. First of all, Thomas, what do you say to Josh's question? And then as well as uh, what this result does to any Herdman Doubters that are out there. Well, I mean, if this result doesn't silence the doubters, then I don't know what will. Uh, I think uh, this is the kind of result that, you know, makes you want to support the national team. Even though I have to say, at some points, Peter, you know, pre-2017, pre this national team was very hard to support. <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was, it was one of those things that you'd sort of look at and you're like, eh, well, I mean, like, th there was just no players that you could really look at now there's a group of 20 players where you're like wow i mean playing week in week out at their clubs and and together they 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 play so well and and if you look at the age of these players i mean i was looking at it the other day a third of the players are 24 and under wow so you're gonna have these players for for many years to come but yeah that's the first question silencing, silencing doubters for sure i think as far as being a tactical genius, you got, I have to give credit where credit is due. You he do. definitely did adjust well in both games. But but I wouldn't say he's the best coach in CONCACAF. And I, and I think it's close. But I think it's close. I think Borhalter still has a lot to prove to himself just because he hasn't really you know, held to that U.S. national team with, with so many stars that he has. And obviously Tata Martino's resume is incredible. But there's always going to be doubts there because obviously he is coaching Mexico and Mexico is that sort of imperfect team. And if you look at the rest of the other coaches in the Ocho, I mean, no one really stands out to me. Maybe the, the Panamanian coach. But the, other than that, I think it's pretty pretty close. But yeah, I mean, Herdman, I think, definitely ranks himself a lot better. Um, you know, in the higher places for sure. And I think it's mostly, you know, his recent results that are, you know, sort of bringing that topic to conversation. Um, but yeah, I think he's adjusted well. And, and, and like the question says, I mean, you really, you challenge Canada, you challenge Canada challenges Mexico and the U S the way they have away in their own pitch. I mean, it's definitely uh, very important. It is. And the results that Herdman has earned in 2021, I think will have pretty much quelled any fears right now because I'm sure you felt the same way, Thomas. Many people felt the same way. I had doubts about Herdman when he was hired after that Haiti debacle and then the 4-1 loss to the United States. How could you not, right? Because it seemed like as they were taking one step forward, they take two steps back and then make you say, oh yeah, that's the same old Canada and maybe this job is, is too much for Herdman. Because um, by the end of 2019, you could say he has a squad here to be, to be able to do a lot more than he has despite having played few games of significance. But regardless, to his credit, he has learned from those mistakes, and that is very important because a coach inevitably is going to commit an error, right? Everyone in life is going to make mistakes. What matters is you learn from them, you adapt to those mistakes, and then make sure they don't happen again. And so far, that's what he is doing. And that is why credit is going where credit is due. And to his credit again, he always, I feel, makes a point of crediting the, the staff that he has. And he gave them some plaudits post-game. 
And he was talking about how, you know, they're helping him plan in, in terms of rotation, uh, managing squad minutes, uh, you know, just tactical stuff, video work, etc., etc. And it's very important to be on the same wavelength and, and, and to be uh, selfless in that way because it is a team sport and that includes on the coaching staff, right? Everybody has to work together. It's not just one or two people running the show. Everybody has to be pulling on, on the same rope, right? And listen, to his credit, in terms of, you know, whether he's a tactical genius, he did point out that they had identified how Mexico pressed, uh, how they were going to draw them in, and then bypass their way through that press to get opportunities in transition, how they were going to uh, approach their own high press in Mexico's end, and how they'd exploit them. And, you know, that's what you have to do. You have to adjust game by game. And the international game is is very fickle that way, right? Because it, it very much is... Um, you know, a lot of prep time in some cases for very few games, but you have to nail it, right? And to his credit, he has nailed them so far. Here's a question from Mark Carvalho, who asked, uh, considering Jonathan David was in such good form coming into this match, any thoughts as to why he was so poor? Hopefully just a little altitude sickness. Um, he was probably the one player, Thomas, that you look at and say, yeah, he didn't really have much of an impact. He finished the game with zero shots and was otherwise fairly invisible other than one or two uh, decent runs and, and, and sequences in the second half. Yeah, I mean, considering this is his 20th match for Canada, him not adding a goal, and obviously we're with Kyle Lahren and, and Lucas Cavallini, he is he is the big name that, that stands out. And as the goal scorer, you're like, okay, Lahren and Cavallini aren't here. We're going to rely on David. And, you know, he didn't have a great game. And I just hope that it's altitude uh, sickness. But I think that in that formation, you can kind of make the argument that in the formation that Herman decided to play in, it more or less highlighted players like Buchanan on the right, yep. Davies on the left, mm -hmm. and Osorio playing as the false nine or Cam. But it didn't really benefit him a whole lot because... He was being marked all the time. Yes. Yeah. I felt like, you know, so it was, it's sort of like in a way, like, like David was the big fish, big fish in a, in a small pond kind of like he, he'd be the guy. Okay. Like this guy has 16 goals in 20 games. Like you, you have to, you know, mark him, but then it would also allow, like I said, Buchanan Davies and, and Osorio to kind of, you know, just move around the, you know, the final third and, and it definitely helped them. Um, and can I just say, I am so happy that Davies is finally playing up front for us because I felt like in a way it changes. Yes, he's not the creator that he is as a, as a fullback, but, you know, I definitely thought it was the right call. And I hope we, we continue to see Davies in that position. Well, to his credit, he did create a, the, the uh, chance for Osorio, and that was his 14th assist with the program, which is now the joint most with Junior Hoylet. Um all time. So congratulations to Alfonso Davies for that. And he's only 20 years old. My goodness. Um, lots of records for him to, to break over the coming years. Um, in, in terms of Jonathan David, part of it is the altitude. I'm sure it, it's very tough to play in that setting when you haven't experienced it before. You, you can get there as early as you want, but when you are playing a high intensity match like that, it just hits you. And, you know, it, it's very hard to overcome it sometimes. But you, you mentioned it. He was also marked very tightly. And guess what? Games like that are going to happen. Um, you're not always going to be able to thrive. And certainly 
with the form he is in, it is disappointing that he maybe didn't have more of an impact, but the attention that Mexico paid on to him enabled Davies and Buchanan and Osorio and, at times, uh, Richie Larea to thrive. So when one guy is marked out, you always have someone else who can kind of pick up the uh, the load and, and take it head on, as it were. Um, but certainly it wasn't the game where I feel his strengths could be fully extracted because when the team relies on the flanks as heavily as they do, he's not going to be as involved. There were moments where he was dropping deep in the second half to to kind of try to unlock space, and then he was making some decent runs in behind. And honestly, if, you know, I, I say Davies didn't get to it first, or, or if, uh, let's say, Jonathan Osorio didn't get to that goal, David could have possibly tapped it in at the back post. So it, it's not like he wasn't trying to make things happen. It just didn't come off for him in the end. Um, David Anthony asking... Pretty interesting question here, Thomas. Very curious that when the game needed to be locked down, Herdman went to Liam Fraser instead of Samuel Piet. What are your thoughts? This was probably the most curious substitution that Herdman made among that triple change, right? It looked like, just based on the fact that they switched to the 4-4-2, threw on Charles Andreas Brim, Liam Miller, and then obviously tried to rest guys like Osorio and Johnston, it, it seemed to me like the thinking was they wanted another ball progressor in the midfield with K coming off to really put the pressure on Mexico. Now, Fraser isn't very quick and he has defensive frailties, so that came with risk. But I think that was the decision to bring him on because Canada was absolutely going for the win after that triple substitution. Yeah, that has to be the most surprising uh, substitution of all. Definitely. Piet has been your captain before. He's also been the only lock in the midfield for quite some time now, besides Atiba, because obviously we know that, that K obviously is a new player to the national team coming in in 2017, and Ostakio recently coming in in 2019. So Piet has been there forever, but he's fallen through the depth chart, and even after the trio that we spoke early in the show, the first guy that Herman decides to go to come off the bench is Liam Fraser. A player that, in my opinion, when Atiba Hutchinson came back and if Scott Arfield was in form, he'd probably be the guy out, the odd man out, if you could only bring 23 players and only six midfielders, given that David Witherspoon has been a little more impressive and he has more experience. But yeah, no, it, it is surprising for sure. I just don't think enough people have watched enough of Piet. You know, he's he has... Besides the fact that Nancy hasn't really given him a whole lot of playing time at certain stretches of the season, he has had a pretty decent season and, and he still can be a big contributor. I even had Piet, you know, starting this game, in my opinion, but he didn't, obviously because he wanted to prioritize familiarity, Herman that is. But, you know, Fraser didn't look too bad. I will say this, though, one of the other substitutions I really didn't understand, Brim coming on over someone like, Schaffelberg, well, I guess you could say they're about the same, but I would have much rather seen someone like uh, CBG come on, perhaps, and I thought that maybe with CBG you can get a lot more offensive uh, attributes, as we saw in June when he, when he did score a goal. I guess, but you also want to be able to rest Jonathan David, right? Because if Kyle Aaron isn't fully fit, 
He's pretty much your go-to. Lucas Cavallini isn't going to be fully fit. Charles Andreas Brim, for all the criticisms I had of him on the last episode, he does have pace, and those are fresh legs, to pressure what would have been a very tired and slow Mexican defense, at least centrally. So that substitution made a bit of sense in that regard. And Schaffelberg is more of a winger as opposed to a striker. Brim can play there. That is all fine. But that is... uh, I, I think it's very telling that Herdman in the final 15 to 20 minutes made proactive substitutions to be able to try and nick a late goal and that kind of goes to show you how the game turned out because the expected goals finished what was it 1.67 or something to 0.85 I can't remember off the top of my head but it was right around that range in favor of Canada and they were outshot 11 to 8 I think based on expected goals per shot they were averaging 0.21 xg Per shot, which is absurdly good. So th- the chances were there, right? And and Davies could have put two away. Larea could have put one away. Same with Buchanan. Why not go for it, right? Final question here. We'd be remiss not to mention this. Uh, Blair Donnelly asking, do you see FIFA taking more aggressive action in regards to the Mexico fans and their actions? Talking about the homophobic chant that uh, marred the second half and the game as a whole. If so, what are your predictions? Uh, Future 2022 World Cup qualifying games with no fans, points deductions, or outright forfeitures of games? Surely enough is enough. I found it changed the tide of the game, a well-timed tactic. Uh, Absolutely, because Mexico took over for about 10 minutes after that pause, much like what happened at the semifinal in July. Um, Thomas, to me, look, CONCACAF is not going to allow their cash cow to be heavily and severely punished because they don't want to upset the mouth or sorry, they don't want to upset the hands that feed them. Right now, FIFA probably doesn't care as much, but you know how these things go, right? Everybody talks that they negotiate these things and then they work out a, a pretty minimal ban or punishment. It's just very, very, very obviously unfortunate that this clouded the game uh, I believe it was Oliver Platt tweeted this, who was actually at Estadio Azteca. They were pumping in crowd noise to drown out the chance so that there weren't more stoppages or you know anything further than that. It really is disgraceful, but I just don't think anything more than you know maybe a one-match ban without fans and a fine is going to happen. Yeah, this is f***ing ridiculous. Victor Montagani, you need to step up. It's amazing how much time, how much leeway Mexico gets. If any other national team did this in the Ocho. I have a very good feeling that this would be treated differently. Oh, yeah. But because it's Mexico, and, you know, they are the kings of CONCACAF, you know, they have these sort of exceptions. And like you say, um, a two-match two ban without fans gets reduced to one. They just, you know, sort of, like you say, negotiate this behind closed doors, um, you know, good old buddies that they know each other for 40 years call each other and say hey listen it's all okay no this is this is this is not good you know and like we've said in the past these stoppages actually benefit mexico they don't do anything for uh you know the the progression of the game it just it just wastes time and and it's and it's incredible how you know this game was supposed to be without fans yeah and the fact they were able to turn around and then the same reason that this game was supposed to be without fans, it ends up happening the exact same thing. 
Like it, they, they should be deducted points, and and that's where I'm going to leave it. Yeah, th- that's the only thing that's going to really curb this, right? Is that you start to hit them where it hurts, um, and that's certainly not with minuscule fines and oh, you know, one match without fans against a a team where you wouldn't have sold it out anyways. Um, although I mean, it didn't really help them much, did it? They they still didn't win the game, um, but yeah. It really solves nothing, and the fact that it continues is disgraceful. And, you know, I chuckled when you were talking at the end there, but it really isn't a laughing matter. It's very unfortunate that this continues to happen, but nothing is going to be done to curb it, sadly. At least that's what we think. Let's move over to um, the next match for Canada, which is against Jamaica on Sunday in Kingston. Um, they lost 2-0 to the United States on Thursday and remain bottom of the Ocho. No Mikhail Antonio, no Ethan Pinnock, um, and, and obviously no Leon Bailey, who was uh, withheld from Aston Villa. They did, however, rest Andre Gray and Kamar Roof um, against the United States, so you would imagine they would start on Sunday, but um, not as strong of a squad as initially thought they were going to be, Thomas. When you look at this for the flip side for Canada, they're going to be a little shorthanded as well. No Steven Vittoria, Richie Larea, or Tejon Buchanan after they picked up bookings against Mexico. However, Junior Hoylett and David Watherspoon will be available, plus the Besiktas duo of Atipa Hutchinson and Kyle Lahren, potentially Lucas Cavallini as well, could be fit and could join the squad in Kingston. No fans will be present, by the way, in the stadium, I believe, uh, for Sunday. So that's an added advantage for Canada. After reading out those suspensions, Thomas, um, as well as the likes of, of Kay and Oshtakio and Atakubi being on yellow card warnings themselves entering this game, um, Stephen asked, which is the most challenging yellow card accumulation to overcome? In, in your eyes, which of those six, maybe starting with the suspended players, is the most difficult to replace? I'm going to change the word here used. I don't think the challenge... I don't think any of them are super challenging, but I will think that familiarity-wise, it will impact because, well, I think obviously with the two guys, which will, there's kind of a question coming up about the potential starting 11s, but I think it's going to be Larea. And the reason I say that is because we're probably going to look at a new player coming in, either CBG uh, or Attic Kubik. But yeah, I just I just don't think that any other player has really mastered that system or been part of that system before. That's why guys like Christian Gutierrez are being left out of these call-ups because they're new and you know they don't really want to mingle with things. But every every I mean they take out Victoria and they put in Henry or they take out Buchanan and they put in Hoylet. I mean mm-hmm. it's pretty much settled oh, yeah. after that I think. Yeah. And, and that would be my starting eleven. Well, uh, jumping ahead, Thomas, not good. In terms of which one is going to be the most challenging, it's absolutely Larea. His positional flexibility, his importance to the team. I mean, he's had, I think it's now 14 or 15 caps this year alone. So that goes to show you how important he's been to the program, especially this year. And he had a tremendous game last night. He had four tackles, a couple interceptions, eight recoveries, three for three on the dribble. He probably will be replaced by Adekubi or possibly Brogiar, but... To me, it's just not going to be the exact same because he is just becoming such a crucial piece of this team. And losing him is always going to be an unfortunate circumstance. As we now maybe look 
towards the game itself, Thomas. Uh, Stefan Jordan at Weber2009 asked, Will Canada have anything left emotionally after putting in so much for Mexico? Um, in a word, yes. I, I think they will. What do you think? Yeah, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't. You know, we, we saw that these triple win, triple game windows can be exhausting um, and obviously tiring for a lot of these players that are playing consistent club football. But, I mean, look, if they manage to do it in September, and they're going to be more than fine in October. Yeah, they should be. And, and listen, this is why they call the 27 players. The mentality they have is, is, is very dialed in. They're not going to, I feel at least you know, take their foot off the gas or anything like that, or, you know, be emotionally drained. I, I actually think they're even more pumped up, if anything. So now let's move over to what uh, Canada could look like lineup-wise, as well as how they could set up against Jamaica tactically. Um, many of you asked this question, including Nick Spirit, Eddie Eng, Joe Cortez, and then FCP1992. Thomas, how do you think they're going to line up, as well as maybe approach the game tactically? thinks one of the players in the trio needs rest i have a feeling that you know it might be it might be k yeah sorry perhaps but i think piet i think he for sure needs to go in to this game just because the conditions in kingston will be quite different yes and i said it i mean i think sam Adakube will 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 slot in for larea uh henry will slot in for victoria and hoylet will slot in for Buchanan, and obviously since Vittoria had the captain armband, the captain armor will probably go to uh, Hoylet uh, or Piet if Piet is playing, but probably Hoylet. And yeah, other than that, I think the team is pretty much settled. Just keep David um, as a left winger, give David another chance, although I have a feeling that if Cavalini is fit, we probably could see him. And I think that limits options to guys like Schaffelberg and Brim just because... Obviously, that that center forward is is a bit thin at the moment uh, mm-hmm. without uh, a fully fit uh, Lucas Cavallini. Uh, and other than that, yeah, I mean, it's funny to me because in the Gold Cup we we more or less saw the same eleven play, and I feel like Kerman is pretty much sold on what his best 10, 11, 12 players are, and then everyone else is sort of extra. He'll never really you know say this publicly. Perhaps he might, but more discreet language. But yeah, I mean, he knows which players are his best and, and he will kind of repeat the same starting 11 and then just plug in holes whenever there are suspensions, injuries, code protocols and whatnot. I think that's what he does. And that's why I'm really only predicting three changes, which are the three suspended players. Um, Henry comes in, as you said. Hoylet, as you said. And then I'm going to say Adekubi comes in uh, for the suspended Larea, um, which makes it Cripo, um, And then from right to left, Johnston, Henry, Miller. And then you go, um, I mean, take this in any order you want, but then Hoylet, Osorio, Estacchio, K Atacubi. I think Hoylet will probably join the front three at times. Um, and then, once again, just have a rotating cast covering that right flank. Atacubi is the left wing back, and then Davies and David complete the trio. I just feel you have to keep the team intact to try and get the three points on the road in what is going to be really your last winnable road match on paper because the rest of your away games are going to be in Central America after this. Um, you know, you take out the yellow card players, rotate at home. You know, you can bring in, provided they're fit and available, Kyle Aaron in for Jonathan David to rest him, Atiba Hutchinson for Oshakyo, who's on a yellow. Uh, David Watherspoon can replace Mark Anthony Kay, who's on a yellow. 
And then Brogiar maybe can come in as, as you know, a, a bit more of an attacking option to replace one of the wingbacks or midfielders. In, in terms of how maybe Canada should set up or how, the, you know, what they should watch for, as I mentioned, Jamaica's probably going to start Kamar Roof and uh, Andre Gray, who didn't play against the U.S. That's going to provide a little more attacking firepower. Um, now, they love, much like Canada, to attack down the flanks. So, you have to be certain of your defensive responsibilities. No one can be slow in tracking back because Jamaica is going to punish you on the counter out wide. So that's an area to watch. Um, they tend to lean towards their right or Canada's left. So that's probably why I lean towards starting out of Kubi. Um, just because you can give some extra protection on the left. He's a good two-way fullback. Um, so you kind of get the best of both worlds there. Is it sort of fair that, you know, maybe Johnson might need a rest and CBG could be a good... Uh, fit you know to slot into that position and obviously you mentioned already there but Eustachio and K are already on yellows and I feel like that Panama home match is more important in my view than this away fixture um, in Kingston against Jamaica perhaps you don't want to risk missing both of them I think Piet would be a would be a strong option there yeah I suppose but you know the, the way I look at it is I feel it's a lot easier to rotate at home and, you know, don't try to mess with the chemistry too, too much. Because I feel if you make a bunch of changes for this game, kind of, you know, change up a lot of, you know, what the team looks like, and then go back to it for another game, that kind of messes up the, the chemistry a little bit. So that's why I'd, I'd stick to it and not make too many changes. Herman could disagree with this, and, you know, maybe their, their plan is, let's rotate for this game, and then just go all out against Panama. But I feel like as a result, you can then rest Kamal Miller, rest Alistair Johnston, rest whoever it is that maybe needs a a, a bit of a, you know, a, a little bit of a, uh, a break, let's say. Thomas, you actually watched some of this game at the official watch party uh, in Toronto, uh, and you actually were able to uh, apparently speak to a fan. What was the, uh, what was the reaction in general like amongst the supporters who were there? Yeah, it was really, really exciting. A lot of fans were pretty happy a lot of obviously older didn't really see any of this um didn't really experience much of this when they were obviously in the, in the dark years but yeah no lots of exciting fans that were there at the 817 sports bar and grill and i even had a chance to speak to one of our listeners nice who you know listens to to our podcast uh regularly um you know on a weekly basis so you know this is uh what he had to say and scott I love listening to the Northern Football Podcast every episode. I'm outside the 817 Sports Bar and Grill at the official viewing party in Toronto. And man, what a result from Canada today. Yeah, it was really historic. And I got KJ uh, giving the numbers there. I think it was the 10th team to walk out of the Azteca not losing in the qualifier. So it was uh, you know, just in the history of CONCACAF, history of Canada soccer, first, first draw against Mexico in Mexico since 1980 um, something we couldn't have imagined just three four years ago actually happening and we outplayed them and that's the biggest thing is there were there were large swaths where we really ran them uh, I'm surprised maybe jumping ahead a bit I'm surprised that we we came out and, and we and we had Fonzie we had Tejan really really running the channels and they couldn't catch up and they they were on the back heel I am surprised that we, we didn't play the more realistic style uh, that we did against the U.S. But that's all, all the more impressive then that we actually were able to maintain 1-1 draw. Again, historic in that we just 
held our solidity, held our composure, got the finish from Oso when we needed it, and uh, yeah, on, on, to, on to bigger and better things in Kingston, Jamaica. Awesome. Always cool to hear from the fans, and uh, thank you, everybody, for your support and for listening. Um, we will speak to you post-Jamaica. Until then, enjoy the game, and we will chat to you in a few days. <laughs>